Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How good to be with you. I'm so happy that we have this hour together every morning. And I think you know that after the first break, you are able to call in with anything at all on your heart. It doesn't never have to be what we're speaking about. It's the issue of your heart. And so, um, but I do ask you to call in, not just to make a statement and um, uh, not only for a prayer request, even though prayer requests are are very important, and you can always uh, email the Station of the Cross with your prayer prayer requests. Um, uh, You can also uh, email us at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. Um, But uh, for the program, we're geared to questions to see if we can help with whatever the issue is. It could be personal, it could be a societal issue, anything at all. And uh, the toll-free number to call or text, we'll take them after the first break, is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, And we take your calls in the order that they come in, as well as your text and emails at uh, mother at the station of the com. So, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to, to continue um, with the book we have been reading on society and sanity. Uh, by Frank Sheed, written in 1953, uh, because we are going mad today in our society. I, I, I'm, I'm listening to the democratic debates, um, and um, I, I can't think of one um, statement that's been made that has man. Kind, the individual society in the right view that knows why we are created and what rights we have. And so the object is to, is either socialism or some kind of um, uh, fascism or something else to try to control man based on what fallen individuals think we are or need or what they want to achieve. But it, it's not reality, beloved. It's not reality. So let me read. Yesterday we read what the rights of man are, because we have to know who we are and what our rights are. And if we know that, we don't let anyone take them from us because they're God-given. They are inherent in our creation. They are God-given. Only our Creator can give us rights. And so, I mean, the, the society and government can remove our rights and give us other rights that are corrupt, but um, uh, only God can give us true rights uh, according to the creature he has made us. And so now I'll just repeat those rights from yesterday. The first rights of man is to be treated as what he is. And by now we know what he is. He's a human being made in the image of God. No one can tamper with that. He has the right to act as what he is, to move toward the goal for which he's been made. 
the order of reality is affronted if any one of these rights is denied. He is a union of body and spirit. He has a right to his bodily integrity and the normal development of his bodily powers. To um, his bodily powers, which would be to food and therefore to shelter and clothing and to healing. He has a right to his spiritual integrity and the normal development of the powers of his soul. He has a right to life because his life upon earth is that by which he decides what his eternal destiny is to be. He has a right to be treated according to the moral law. He has a right to enter into relationship, relation with God, to grow in union with God here with a view to that perfect union which is to come hereafter. Okay. Um, and so we continue. I'm skipping some here so I don't reread it all. But we continue today. From the Christian view of man, these rights flow. From any other view, what rights flow? This is no academic question. Sociologically, it has become for our century the question of questions. And of course, this was written in the 20, 20th century. It, we're now in the 21st, so it's a question for any century, and even more so for ours now, because human uh, nature is uh, fallen, and uh, our systems are becoming more degraded and corrupt and dangerous by the day. Frank Sheed says this, um, Every man should examine himself most closely upon it. In other words, what rights flow from who you are? He says, take two of the most fundamental of human rights. Has the man the right to life? Has he the right to liberty? Yes, you say vigorously, even violently. You are certain of both. You are prepared to fight for them. But vigor and violence and certitude and willingness to fight are no proof of truth. They are found as often with error. Has man, in fact, these two rights? If you meet one who questions either right, how, uh, meet one who questions either right, huh, the right uh, to life and liberty, how do you show him that man has both? You will find yourself hard-pressed to establish, to establish them without considering what man is. It would be a highly mystical position to maintain that man has these rights, no matter what he is, that if he is a chemical formula, he has a right to life and liberty. If he is an animal, different only in degree of development from the other animals, he has a right to life and liberty. No other chemical formula has such rights. No other animal. One remembers Shylock's, Shylock, his speech in The Merchant of Venice. Quote, I am a Jew. Hath not a Jew eyes? Hath not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions, but with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, 
subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer, as a Christian is? If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? End quote. It is magnificent but surprising. One would have experienced Shylock, uh, rather one would have expected Shylock to argue that a Jew is a man, even as a Christian is. Instead, he argues that a Jew is an animal, even as a Christian. If he had been pleading the cause of an ape instead of his own, he would hardly have needed to alter a word. Hath not an ape eyes? What then is the force of the argument? That a Jew has the same human rights as a Christian? Obviously not, for nothing specifically human has been mentioned. And Shylock has far too powerful an intellect to make such an error to logic. He draws from the argument one thing only. If you wrong us, shall we not revenge? That is all that could possibly be drawn from it. In man's likeness to the animals is no foundation for human rights. We use animals to serve our needs, put them to work for us, arrange their mating and their procreating to suit our requirements, not theirs. Take him from anything. Take him from anything they have that we want. Kill them for food or because they are diseased um, or because there are too many of them, meaning by that more than we think suitable. <clears throat> Society protects them against wanton ill treatment. Inflicted protects them, I'm sorry, inflicted through callousness or brutality. But to say that animals have rights to life and liberty would be farcical. Yet to deny that men have them, we should feel to be intolerable. What then is there that man has and animals have not? To serve as foundation for them. It must be some uh, element Hold on now. It must be some element different in kind, not a mere difference in degree or development, or it will not bear the weight. <clears throat> what, in other words, separates man from animals? They both have the right to life and liberty. What separates man from animals? And he goes on to say, the Christian view of man provides such an element it is hard to see that any other view does. I do not mean that men who reject the Christian view cannot believe passionately in man's rights. Often they do, and more effectively than many Christians. For whereas the Christian has sound principles, and these others have only sound instinct, the instincts may be alive and operative, while the Christian's principles may lie neglected in his mind and fruitless for action. 
But the men with sound instincts and no, uh, sorry, the the men with sound instincts and no more cannot show the rightness of their belief. I have called it mystical, and so it is, a sense of an ultimate mystery in man by which he differs from all of of all other of earth's creatures man felt more profoundly than he can be formulated but unformulated the concept of man's rights cannot be defended against an attack and it is under attack everywhere It is under attack everywhere from those who would treat men point by point um, eating them accepted, because that, of course, would be cannibalism, as we treat animals. The Christian view gives the formulation and makes man's rights defensible. Complaint is then enough made against the church that she denies or diminishes one or the other of man's rights. But only in the view of man that she teaches is there a foundation for any rights at all. It is to be noted that the rights of man, as we have outlined them, flow from his being, not matter only, but spirit as well. Hold on now. Let me repeat that sentence. It is to be noted that the rights of man as we have outlined them flow from his being, not matter only, but spirit as well. His being, man is both body and spirit, matter and spirit, the whole man. Their urgency is intensified by the fact of his immortality. He is responsible for the choices upon which his future without, uh, without end will depend. Man will live forever. And how he lives and where he lives forever, with or without God, is his choice. He's responsible for making that choice. <clears throat> Anyone who so infringes man's rights as to interfere with the proper use of his powers to bring him to his proper goal is maltreating him and may be damaging him forever. Note, note further, Frank Sheet says, that one can thus establish man's rights without bringing Christ into the picture. That man is in God's image, free, responsible, and immortal is sufficient foundation for the great structure. Those who are so, I'm sorry, those who see so much must see man as sacred. The eye thus beholding him is aware of vista after vista, leading away beyond its sight into the infinite and eternal. By the time Christianity had begun its march across the world, pagan thought at its highest had come close enough to this concept of man in glimpse <clears throat> to glimpse his sacredness 
and Seneca uttered, uttered it in the great phrase that man should be an object of reverence for man. Homo sacra res, <clears throat> res homini. Man should be an object of reverence for man. <clears throat> this certainly is true throughout the entire Old Testament. It's certainly true in the Psalms, beloved. It was certainly true in the faith of face of uh, the faith of Israel. <clears throat> Yet it remains theoretic, not intense enough or urgent enough to produce even in the philosophers a new attitude to man, still less to spread from the philosophers to the multitude and produce a new civilization. It is when we know that God became man and died for men that these other truths come alive. And I'll stop here to say they certainly did for me. They certainly did for me. When I realized that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, whose name we could never pronounce all our life, we knew that nobody could come into his presence and live. When I found that he came into our presence and came to bring us back to himself, I really was. The scriptures say, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. They absolutely did for me, beloved. They absolutely did. I saw the entire world, every tree, every flower, every leaf, every person, everyone differently. And I wanted to walk through the streets and shake them and say, do you know who you are? Do you know who made you? Do you know who loves you? Do you know who longs for you to love him and know him and be the creature God has made you to be now and forever? Changes everything. I'll reread that sentence, is when we know, it is when we know that God became man and died for men, that these other truths come alive and with power. I've never been the same since that day, beloved. I've never been the same. Many a man who would not be notably moved by philosophical considerations of spirituality and responsibility and likeness to God is shocked into a salutary awareness as he learns the ultimate proof of God's love for man. In plain fact, Calvary has done what philosophy could never do in bringing into the world a new attitude, not only to God who so loved men, but to men who were so loved by God. Let me repeat that. In plain fact, Calvary, that is the cross on which the Savior of the world died, was put to death by us, by our sins. Calvary has done what philosophy could never do in bringing into the world a new attitude, not only to God who loved men, but to men who were so loved by God. I remember, beloved, we're going to stop there for today. I remember in my Jewish years passing uh, someone who gave me a tract, and it said, God loves you. It was a Protestant tract. God loves you <clears throat> and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I thought, 
okay, that God exists, that's fine. That he loves me, well, I don't feel lovable, but let's say that's okay. And of course, I learned God doesn't love us based on that we're lovable, but based on that he's a God of love. And all you need to do to get loved is getting God's way. Um, so it wasn't that God loves you and have, even that God loves you or that God loves you. It was for me, God loves you. I said, it's impossible. Because if he loves me, then he knows me. And if God knows me, then I matter. I exist. I matter. And God knows me and wants me to know him. He loves me. Me. Of all the people in the world, he loves me. How could that be? How could that be? And for the rest of my days... I've said this before when people say, why don't they believe? Why don't they believe? Why don't they believe? What do I know? I don't know why they don't believe. I don't know why I do. I don't know why I do. I know spending 33 years of my life not knowing anything, really not knowing anything. And all of a sudden, I knew God. And the people I met said that they knew God, that they had a relationship with God. And I called them fools. I called them fools. Fools, we're going to grasp at anything to try to add meaning to our life. I didn't know why mankind was on the earth at the time. And they said to me, God loves you. He loves you. He knows you, and he wants you to know him and have a relationship with him. And they told me that they do, that they know God. And I said, what, are you ta- what do you mean you know God? You don't know God. You believe. You think. You feel, you don't know. How could you know God? How could anyone know God? My goodness. It it was astounding to me. And I followed these, what I thought were very troubled Jews. They were Jews for Jesus for a year and a half before I came to know the God that they loved and would give their life for. And since that day, I have nothing on my heart no other desire, no other purpose, but to know God and to make him known. And blessed be God that he brought me into the fulfillment of Judaism and the full measure of Christianity, which is the Catholic Church, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There's, there's no greater gift to have, this side or the other side of heaven. And how do we get it? We don't, beloved. It is free, and it is given to us by the God of love who paid the price that we could be with him forever. Paid the price not for his sin, he had none, but for our sin, the sin that separated us from God. He paid the price. We nailed him to the cross by our sins. The price for sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God uh, in Christ is life, 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 life. And there is no life with God apart from the Savior. Absolutely nothing. No life. There is no other name under which we might be saved. And you might say, no, no, I'm Jewish. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not even going to say his name. I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I'm Jewish and God is ours. No, it was the Jewish God who became man 
who took on flesh and blood through the Jewish maiden named Mary, Miriam, and became man for us while never giving up his divinity. Jesus Christ is 100% man, 100% God, not 50-50. And he came to earth, and just as the lambs of the Old Testament were brought before the priest and the individual put their hand on the head of that lamb so that it was a symbolic gesture of the sin passing from the individual onto that animal and that animal who bore in a substitutional way our sins was slain in our place because he bore our sins and was put to death. Jesus is the Lamb of God and on that cross our sins were transferred to him and he who had no sin became a sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He died for you. You may not know him. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care if you're an atheist. He loves you. Maybe you're a Muslim. Maybe you're a Hindu, whatever you are. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And he rose from the dead to give you life. And the only thing you need to do to have that life be freed from your sins and live with God forever is to believe what he came, to believe and be baptized. Go to a Catholic priest and let him help you. Go to a Catholic church and let the priest help you into the kingdom of God. Your entire life will be changed and you will soon see how what you've believed from a little child or many things along the way have their full truth and fulfillment in Christ. The Station of the Cross offers online tutorials to help you get the most out of your iCatholic Radio app. You'll be introduced to our latest features and the opportunities available for not only listening to our live stream, but also to a variety of podcasts of our shows, prayers, and special presentations. For these tutorials and more, click on the iCatholic Radio link located on the Stations page of our website, thestationofthecross.com. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. This is Father Jacek Mazur. Please join me in a prayer honoring St. Ignatius of Antioch. Almighty God, we praise you for your bishop and martyr, St. Ignatius, who offered himself as grain to be ground by the teeth of wild beasts, that he might present to you the pure bread of sacrifice. Accept the willing tribute of our lives and give us a share in the pure and spotless offering of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live, and this is our half hour all to ourselves. So I welcome your calls, your texts, your emails, and we're going to take our first email from Derek. He writes, Hello, Mother Miriam. I've been going to a youth and young adult ministry group for many years. I first came into the group having been invited by people I knew very well. When they left to start their own families, I started to feel like I was alone. After a chain of events at that group brought pain not only to me, but my friends and family as well, I felt like the new core team of the group were becoming this inner circle who will, excuse me, who will run things just to make them happy. I started asking myself, where is God in the mixture? A good portion of me was resentful because I could tell some of the things they were doing were absolutely watered down, and it seemed like they only wanted to do what was supposedly supposedly attractive to young adults. In fact, things that they did absolutely disturbed my relationship with God. Can you please advise me on what to do about this situation? Also, what are your thoughts on what makes a good young adult ministry? I know this for a fact, that the easy answer is that the audience is always God. Praise be Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Well, dear Derek, um, it's an unfortunate situation when that happens. I know just what you're describing, and it, it shouldn't be, and it's that's when ministry and a group relations and good things go bad and obviously this has gone that way so it's quite unfortunate what i would do is express to them uh without emotions if you can just clearly what your thoughts are and 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 how it has been degraded and downgraded uh since the other group left and uh, you're wondering if you could get together with them and together decide what could bring it to a higher level now so that it really feeds everyone's spirituality. Um, If they're not interested, uh, Derek, um, and they snub you or whatever it is, leave that group. Just don't stay. Nothing should disturb your relationship with God. Nothing. There's a power in there over you if it disturbs your relationship with God. Don't ever let that happen. That's that's a poison. You, you simply leave them. So if you can approach them and talk to them, do that. If you've already approached them and nothing happens, simply leave them. Derek, it's not worth you, your Christianity. It's not worth your... Uh, the development of your Catholic manhood. It's simply not worth it. Find good, strong, enter a mission with other people, <clears throat> not a Catholic youth group. Um, so that's what I would advise you to do about the situation. Also, my thoughts on what make a, a good young adult ministry is simply to give your lives away. If you come together in ministry, it should have, as far as I know, three elements. One, prayer. 
Secondly, studying the faith together. And thirdly, giving your lives away to others. You need to have a ministry to the poor, to the homeless, or to the elderly, or to be big brothers and sisters to young children, or whatever it is, teaching the faith. You you need to give your lives away. So prayer, uh, a study of the faith yourselves, and uh, outreach, all those three things must be there. All right, don't worry about social activities. You don't need them. You could do that Christmas and Easter. You could have a dinner together. Don't worry about that. The social aspect will be there 24-7 because you're all together. So don't worry about those things. Don't plan foolish, meaningless activities. Uh, Prayer, study of the faith, and giving yourselves away to the world, preaching the gospel, bringing people to Christ. That's what needs to happen. Uh, if if these things don't happen, Derek, leave them. Just leave the group and uh, find something else. Go uh, look through your diocese and see what kind of young adult mission groups there are, people that, that get together because they love God, they're not self-centered, and they're focused on the world that needs Christ. Here's another email from someone who writes, uh, Dear Mother Miriam, um, anonymously, do you have any thoughts on the children's film The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? Would you recommend showing this film to Catholic children? If not, then what about the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis? I'm having trouble knowing when to draw the line with non-Catholic material and music, etc. Thank you and God bless you. I've not seen the film The Pilgrim's Progress. I read the book in my Protestant years, and it's truly excellent. Um, And so are the books of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Uh, I have no hesitancy about the children reading those books of Narnia. Absolutely none. Pilgrim's Progress, I think I'd have to see it um, to see how well it's made. I, I don't... I don't. I can't think of anything that would be against the Catholic faith. You see, it 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 might be very good. I think you need to um, to see that and decide that for yourself. The problem with Protestant books and films, if they don't teach specifically error within them, and I cannot think of the Pilgrim's Progress or Narnia that has any such error. Yet they leave out the Catholic faith. They leave out the sacraments. They leave out redemptive suffering. Uh, they leave out huge, huge keys. So if you... Uh, the Narnia books, I don't think you should have any issue with. The Pilgrim's Progress film, again, I would watch it. And watch it with your children. And if there are particular points where you want to bring in the sacraments or confession or, uh, again, the idea of redemptive suffering, joining our sufferings with the suffering of Christ so that our suffering is not wasted, it's really put to work for the kingdom, watch the film with them and just stop the film at those points and bring them into the discussion. That would be that would be great. So you 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 bring all the Catholic aspects into it along the way. I, at the moment, I don't see any problem with both of those things. Um, uh, if any particular film teaches uh, that all you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart and once saved, always saved, just just uh, have nothing to do with those because that's not Christianity. All right, we have a... a oh, 
there's our break. And when we come back from the break, we'll take a Facebook question, a a question from Teresa on Facebook. And you are welcome, beloved, to call in during the break, toll free or text 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the Church. Subscribe today at faithfulinsight.com and may God bless you. of iCatholic Radio are leaving inspiring reviews in the iTunes and Google Play stores. Emilia says, iCatholic Radio is the only radio station I listen to. It's my constant companion whether I'm in my car or walking. It's a good way to learn and to deepen my understanding about my faith. It's a source of reliable information of which we badly need in our culture. I encourage everyone to listen and support iCatholic Radio as a gateway to heaven. Another reviewer writes, at last, a radio station worth listening to. Thank you. I love it. And Deepak writes, a Catholic media treasure trove, spiritually uplifting and fun. One reviewer says, love it, love it. I'm learning so much about the Catholic faith. It makes me seriously consider conversion. If you haven't reviewed iCatholic Radio yet, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our page at the iTunes or Google Play Store. to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment of the program together today. We have a little over 15 minutes. And again, I welcome you uh, to call in with anything that's on your heart whatsoever. Um, You can call in anonymously if you wish, not an issue. And the toll-free number to call or text is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We have a um, question from Teresa that she 
uh, posted on Facebook. She said, have you noticed that most bride gowns have very low tops or see-through, etc.? There was even a picture of a bride and groom on an EWTN post, and the woman had a very revealing dress on. Am I just a prude? Teresa, you are not a prude. I would respond the same way. It's absolutely awful. I have also seen such things on uh, what we think are very good Orthodox Catholic websites. It's It, it just makes me sick. It, it it's terrible. There's no reason for that sort of exposure. Absolutely no reason. Brides need to be modest. The bridal gowns should not be see-through. They should not be low-cut. They should not be too tight. They should be, a woman should be dressed like the Blessed Virgin would be dressed as a bride of Christ. That's how she should be dressed when she marries her husband, who is Christ to the family, who is the head of the family. She should be lovely and modest and not exposed. You're not a prude. You have the right sensibilities, Teresa. And the word is modesty, not prudeness. It is modesty. And you are absolutely right, sweetheart. So um, we need to help other people to see that somehow. I don't know quite how to help everyone, especially on their wedding day, um, uh, to have a picture like that. It's, it, it really does sadden me as well. We're going to go on to uh, Natalie, who also has a question on Facebook, and she says, Mother, have you heard of the CCHD, that is, Catholic Campaign for Human Development, and other Catholic groups that send money to pro-homosexual and abortion groups from our church collections? The answer is yes, I've certainly heard of the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. She says, can you please explain why this practice is wrong? I'm greatly outraged about this, to be honest with you. Well, to be honest with you, Natalie, I wish bishops were outraged with it because just this past weekend, I saw the flyers from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development in a huge cathedral, and it it really made me ill. Why is this practice wrong? Because abortion, killing babies, is wrong. And so I've often said, if you, you may say, well, I don't... um, I, I don't, I'm not for abortion. Uh, I'm against abortion, but you're going to vote for a politician who is for abortion. You participate in the murder of those children if you put him in office to pass that law. It's awful. And so anyone who contributes to the Catholic Development for Human, Catholic Campaign for Human Development, CCHD, is contributing to the murder of children because millions are spent on uh, homosexual and uh, abortifacious groups and in passing out condoms and all of that. Um, it, it's, it's evil. And uh, no Catholic should support CCD, uh, CCHD, the Campaign um, for Human Development not give another penny to them. If your church supports them, you just pass the basket by and you don't contribute a single penny. And maybe if Catholics learn about these things and live their faith to the full and refuse to give money 
uh, well, where it'll be used for evil, uh, then then maybe the bishops will will catch on to that because they know they know these things. We're not privy to this information, and if anyone wants full information or support on this, go to Lepanto L E P A N T O Institute Michael Hitchborn, and you'll see all the figures you need need to have. We have an email from Jenny who says, Good morning, Mother. I'm someone who's been living with autism all of my life. I feel like my situation is grave because it involves my interaction with other people. Not long ago, my best friend turned against me and started hanging out with a group of girls that excludes people who act differently than them. And yes, that includes people with autism. It seemed like the person who was supposed to be my best friend, turned into my mortal enemy. Later on, I heard from a few secondhand sources that she has been miserable lately in that group but refuses to give them up. Just the same, I want to help this person, whom I once called my best friend, but I don't know how she'll react to me reaching out to her, and I know if I say one wrong thing, her life may spiral downward and I'll probably take it with me to my grave. Well, I haven't finished re- yet reading your your email, Jenny, but you're a very wonderful person. That that she turned on you, and now your only thought is how to help her. God bless you. Jenny continues, Given this situation, what would be the best course of action for me to do? Given my autistic personality, I don't particularly say the most intelligent things, but I hope this former friend of mine knows that I am willing to open my heart wide enough for her to be comforted. Beautiful, Jenny. And she says, thank you for taking this email. Please know that you and your ministry are in my prayers. God bless. Jenny, I'd love to meet you one day. You're truly, truly beautiful. What I would do is, if you're concerned about the, how the conversation would go with your friend, I would write her a letter. So you won't be concerned about saying something wrong. Uh, you won't be guided by her reaction. She won't interrupt you, all of that. Um, write her a letter. Make it a very uh, compassionate letter, which I don't think will be hard for you, and, and say, I, I, I'm just, I just apologize to you if I've offended you in any way, if I've hurt you. Um, I, because I'm artistic, I do have these um, difficulties and um, I, I know that it can turn people away at times, um, but I'm awfully sorry for it. I want you to know that um, I think nothing negative of you, and I would, I, I think very well of you, and I would love us to be friends again if you ever feel that you would like to be, and if not, I will pray for you. And just wanted to let you know that I care for you still. I don't blame you, um, but I'm I'm sorry if it's uh, for the effect perhaps my personality and or autism has had on you, on, and on our friendship. Love, Jenny. That's it. That's it. Don't talk about this other group. Don't mention that you even know she's unhappy because that would be the fruit of gossip. Don't do that. Um, just write her that letter and just then you can not mail it when you write it, stay with it a few days so you can read it when you're a little more objective to what you wrote, and you can change any words you want and then put it in the mail. Um, The other thing I'm going to suggest, Jenny, 
um, I do know autistic people, and um, they're, one, they're some of the most loveliest people I've ever met. They're magnificent. They're deeply intelligent, even if their articulation is not always up to their mind. Um, and and sometimes it's it's beyond my articulation. So, But I know there are problems, and my thought would be that when you come with people, say, you know, I love you all, I'm happy to be in this group, um, I want you to know that I'm autistic, so every once in a while I may act in a certain way, I may check out, I may have certain words or motions or whatever that that are going to be either confusing, so some people are frightened by them, but I'm okay, I just want you to know this in advance so that... Uh, it, it it doesn't it you know it hopefully won't bother you when when these things occur if I don't always say the right thing. Um, it's because then hearts are with you and they'd say, oh Jenny, don't mind, we're your friends. It'll don't worry at all. So this way, when these things happen, they can comfort you instead of turn from you. Hopefully, that would be the 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 issue. Um, okay, dear Jenny, we're going to go on to Rachel who says, hi, Mother Miriam. A week ago, my son, who is autistic, another autistic, was to celebrate his birthday with a party with all 18 of his classmates that he invited months in advance. On the day the party was to start, nobody came, and I do mean nobody, not even the eight that RSPV'd, that responded. Needless to say, he was anxiously asking me constantly when his friends would come, um, and as the hours passed, nobody came, and he was extremely upset. Of course he would be. I would be, too. It was like as if nobody wanted him. I have heard countless stories that are similar to mine, and it seems that there is light at the end of the darkness for me, but this thought always comes to mind. If we do not love our peers with autism, or teach our children to love their peers with autism or other disabilities. How can we expect anyone else to? So, well, we should expect them to. We don't have to teach them. They should. But in a case like this, Rachel, um, if, I don't know how, you didn't give an age group, but if your son is autistic and inviting his classmates and eight of them responded, I would say the the thing to do would be to call their homes and speak with their mothers in advance and invite them that way and say, you know, um, my son is autistic, so, um, you know, I don't want that to steer them away from coming. Uh, we haven't heard back on the invitation, but I want you to know that uh, my, my son would be delighted. There's, I'm going to be home with them. Everything's going to be set. It's going to be wonderful. Um, and especially for the ones who respond, RSPV'd, um, you could say um, your your son responded or your daughter responded to come to the party. I just want to let you know that I have the uh, the response and that they're planning to come. And if, if anything comes in the way of that, if there's any concern, I want you to let me to know. So I would deal with the parents and let the parents help to send their children to the party so your son wouldn't be so devastated. And she says, uh, with that being said, can you advise me on how to teach my son about dealing with disappointment, especially when it hurts his feelings greatly like it did last week? 
Well, the only way to deal with that is to teach him about our Lord's disappointment. Everyone left him, even when he was nailed to the cross. Only Mary and John were there. All the disciples left him. Everyone fled. Jesus knows what it means when nobody shows up, even though he already, even though he was giving his life for them. Um, And you go on to say, I still believe it's important for an experience like this one to be a teaching tool for him and every child, yes, because we know very well that there'll come a time in our children's lives when they'll experience disappointment for the first time if they haven't already. God bless you, Mother. Thank you again for taking the time to read this. Absolutely, yes. And the most important thing to do I believe, is to raise your children with a very strong sense of identity of who they are. So when they're hurt and shunned by other children, they won't be devastated. They'll be hurt, but they won't be devastated because their own identity won't be disturbed by that or or it won't be detrimental to who they are. Um, they'll say, no, I know who I am. If other people don't, well... I'll find out maybe I have to do a better job or or maybe they're uh, not what they should be, but I have a strong sense of who I am, and that doesn't touch who I am, that they didn't come. Something went wrong, and I'll find out what it is and write it for the next time. So uh, the most important thing is that our children have a very strong sense of identity, that they belong to God, that they that Jesus died for them, And nobody can touch it. Nobody could touch God's love. Nobody can touch who they are. They cannot be downgraded. People who call them different names or turn from them are simply blind and ignorant and don't know who they are. You offer a diamond to someone and some people say, you've got to be kidding. You're offering that to me. Do you know its value? And other people will say, oh, get out of here. It's just a, a little stone. Who cares? And they'll turn away from it. Does it touch the worth of the diamond? No. It's only the people's response to it. And that's their responsibility and their loss or gain. So teach your children that. Teach them who they are in Christ, who God made them to be. And that if someone loves them, it doesn't add to that. And if someone rejects them, it doesn't take away from it. They are who they are because of who they are in Christ. And we can have experience to affirm that or to deny it, but it doesn't change one bit who we are and the degree to which we are loved. Okay, beloved, there's our closing music, so we'll be with you tomorrow. God bless you.